Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. people deconstruct, most of the time there's something there that needs to be deconstructed. So there's a, there's a type of deconstruction that um, is where, you know, people critique kind of the culture of the church based on the Bible. And this is what Jesus did. Like Jesus did this, this is Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, but I say to you, right? You've, you've heard it said, you know, love, you know, your neighbor, but hate your enemies. That hate your enemies part isn't in the text. You've added that on with your nationalism and your anger and your fear. And so Jesus is deconstructing church norms in his day with the Bible. So there's a healthy part of deconstruction where basically the world has corrupted the church and people take the Bible to critique the worldliness of the church. But what we're living through right now is where people take the world and they use kind of the culture of the world to critique the Bible. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio for this weekend. Hi, I'm Paul Perot with Gabe. Here at Q, the goal, as you just heard a few moments ago, is to stay curious, think well, and advance good. And to help you do just that, Gabe and his team provide events like in-person Q conferences, as well as through online talks and curated content on the Q media platform at qideas.org. Then, thanks to COVID, Gabe and his team have been hosting virtual events, like this past November's Q&A, a virtual town hall event. When we talk about thinking well, we also have to deal with the ways that we and the culture around us are not thinking well. And Gabe, one of those ways of thinking we want to deal with this time. This episode, it's going to be one of those you listen to, I bet, three times. That's my guess. You're going to go back and listen to it three times. You're going to share it with like five friends. And you're going to be a bit awakened and enlightened to one of the greatest challenges facing the Christian church today. And it's the idea of deconstruction. Now, when you hear deconstruction, maybe your mind doesn't quickly go to this definition. But as we talk about it here, it's the postmodern idea that we must deconstruct everything in the past. We must remake history, and we also must remake the future. And that predominant philosophy has driven so many people away from faith. They look at the Christian faith and say, hey, something's wrong with this faith. I don't, I don't like some of the things that it says. It doesn't align with our current cultural moment. And so we need to deconstruct it. We need to take this thing back down to the frame and then rebuild it. Well. John Mark Comer, who's with us today. John Mark Comer is the pastor at Bridgetown Church in Portland. Many people have come to know him over these last few years. He has a great series. He does a podcast we highly recommend. It's all part of our curated podcast on Q Media as well called This Cultural Moment, him and Mark Sayers. But he also wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry recently that became a bestseller. And He's the kind of pastor that people, especially during this last year in this pandemic, as people have searched for spiritual authorities, people who are really discerning in how they're evaluating our current cultural moment and how they're navigating what faithfulness looks like. 
John Mark Homer has been one that's given voice to some in the in the youngest generations among us in the church. And so what you're going to hear today is from a conversation we did. It was an extended conversation at our Q&A gathering just a couple of months ago. And this was rated our top session. We had eight different topics. This was one of them called Deconstruction and Church History. And in this particular clip that I've pulled out for you that I really want you to hear, you're going to hear John Mark describe what deconstruction is, how it happens, why this is a temptation right now in our culture amongst the next generation, and what it means for us. And not only do you get to hear this nine minutes, but we also have an offer for you to be able to hear the entire hour and 15-minute conversation between him and a church historian where they describe how we are currently in the moment. If you were to size this up historically, that American life is likely most resembles what it looked like when the empire of Rome began to fall. And in that conversation, which was part of this hour and 15-minute dialogue, you learn so much about how our moment today in 2021 resembles much of what the church looked like when the Roman Empire began to fall. And what does that mean for the church? I don't want you to miss that. You can see this entire talk. It's free for the next 30 days when you sign up to be a part of Q Media, which you can do at qideas.org slash QA. So I'm not going to wait any longer. I want you to listen to this, and then I'll be back. And I want to highlight a few of the things towards the end of this podcast. First off, I mean, you have to root this. This is not a new phenomenon. It's a, it's not even a historic phenomenon. It's a human phenomenon. So like, you know, Dr. Tim Mackey and others work around Genesis three has been core for me. The interpretation of, you know, kind of the temptation to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, what is that, you know? And this core human temptation, which is basically to redefine good and evil on your own terms, Mm -hmm. rather than trust God's vision and definition of human flourishing. That, I think, is the core human temptation, like through all human history at an archetypal level. And there are a thousand different examples of that down through church history. The most common one is kind of, you know, the way that liberalism has come into the church. And theological liberalism is not new. It's, you know, it goes back to German higher criticism and the so-called quest for the historical Jesus. So it's, you know, two and a half centuries old. Um, it's, lo- it's old enough now, and we should maybe come back to this. But It Rodney, has parallels in ancient heresies, too. I'm sure, yes, for sure. But I'm sorry, I'm in West, in, in the, the West, in, in the Western quasi-Protestant Catholic Church, yeah. it goes back to German higher criticism. Nobody realizes that the end result of it was Nazism, that the Christians that supported fascism were all liberals, who supported euthanasia, who supported the Holocaust. It's all like, for example, abortion and transgender theory are both based on what philosophers call um, personhood theory, which is the idea that being a human doesn't make you a person, right? right? It's like something else. Being a, being a human body isn't enough to make you a person. That's the only way you can get, there's no scientific generate, you know, gen, uh, justification for abortion, right? So, but what people don't realize is that was the same exact philosophical framework that the Nazis and others used for eugenics, for murdering gypsies and Jews and sexual minorities. It's the same... I'm not saying I'm not saying liberals are Nazis. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's this. People don't realize this is the same philosophical framework that you're working with, and so it's not new. And that's where it led in Germany was to the destruction of the church and to the rise of a totalitarian state. And what's new in for our generation is that's always been separate from the evangelical, and I mean that not in the political sense, but in the broader kind of theological sense of sense of the Reformation. 
What's happened with millennials is that which has always been off to the side in the mainline church, and you know the church in America kind of had a split over it 100 years ago. Now it's come into quasi-evangelical churches. And I think you, you have to start from a, a compassionate place because I think the way it came through, I mean, obviously some of it I think is just demonic, but is like when people deconstruct, most of the time there's something there that needs to be deconstructed. So there's a, there's a type of deconstruction that um, is where, you know, people critique kind of the culture of the church based on the Bible. And this is what Jesus did. Like Jesus did this. This is Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, but I say to you, right? You've, you've heard it said, you know, love, you know, your neighbor, but hate your enemies. That hate your enemies part isn't in the text. You've added that on with your nationalism and your anger and your fear. And so Jesus is deconstructing church norms in his day with the Bible saying, you think this is, you Christians or you, you know, church people think this, this is what scripture says. This is the deconstruction of the Old Testament prophets before Jesus. It's the deconstruction of Martin Luther and Zwigli and Calvin and the reformers. It's the deconstruction of like, there's a, so there's a healthy part of deconstruction where basically the world has corrupted the church and people take the Bible to critique the worldliness of the church. But what we're living through right now is where people take the world and they use kind of the culture of the world to critique the Bible. So it's a backwards kind of thing. So people come to the Bible, come to the way of Jesus with prior moral assumptions where they have Genesis 3, redefined good and evil, whether it's around sexuality or any number of issues, for themselves, and then scripture doesn't line up or the tradition of the church doesn't line up, and so then it's deconstructed. But I think it's important to realize that it often comes out of a place of wounding and of hurt. Like I was talking to a dad yesterday who's raised a couple college kids here in Nashville, and he said, you know, Nashville is just a, such a hard place to raise kids. And I said, nah, this feels like... I'm like having to like explain to my kids why you know your gender is like you need to integrate to your body like like why is Nashville a hard place to raise kids you know um, I'm like trying to keep my kids safe when we go through the city or whatever you know and he said well you know there's just so much conservative Christianity that is aligned with nationalism and millennials are so turned off by that that it's so hard for them to not just overreact, throw out the baby with the bathwater, go progressive, and then from progressive, most people go post-Christian. And and so there is a health, there is a there is something there that people are reacting against. Like the way it came into I think church leaders was 10, 15 years ago through the missional movement, where there was the great thinkers who started to deconstruct the kind of Sunday-centric attractional churches all about lights and stage and getting more people and almost consumeristic approach to church, they started to deconstruct that with the Bible and say, like, that isn't scriptural, that's not the future, this isn't reaching Gen X, this isn't reaching millennials. But then something shifted and people started not just deconstructing church structure, but deconstructing orthodoxy. And at that point, it was, you're off to the races. And my pastoral experience is that progressive Christianity, for not for all people, but for most, is a stopover on the way to post-Christianity, very because it can't hold any kind of robust discipleship because it has no ethical stance against the world. So you're going to in. Talk to where Scripture fits into that. I mean, in, in terms yeah. of orthodoxy, what what's the first? 
for a pastor who's trying to lead a congregation and they're having some of these conversations over coffee, I mean, as a leader, what are you listening for in the conversation that yeah. helps you know, hey, this person might be starting to be discipled by a different vision yes. that is not our vision? Well, of, of everything is about power and authority for millennials and Gen Z. And so um, I think the short version is just for many young Christians, Scripture is no longer their authority. So you have two, you know, two, like, this is my wannabe journalist read on it, and so this might be way off, and correct me here. But, you know, I think about the role of Freud on one hand and the role of Marx and Foucault on the other. So Freud, this is a gross oversimplification, but as I understand it, basically says that neurosis, or feeling kind of unhappy, is, is the result of repression of desire, specifically of your libido. And he didn't just mean your sexual desire, but that was primary. And he, and he actually had a place for repression of desire, because without it, you just have anarchy and the world would fall apart. But he said the church and, you know, in his view, scripture and God and religion and culture all come in to repress your desire, and that leads to neurosis. And you just feel stifled and you feel suffocated. And, and he's living in, like, you know, Germany hundreds of years ago, it's very different, like much more conservative, stifling, Austria, you know, kind of thing. So, but the, 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 he, I don't think he actually thought this, but how that's come down to millennials is in cliches like be true to yourself, you do you, speak your truth, you know what I mean? You, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be true to number one, like just do it, you know, like um, use your feelings, Luke, you know what I mean? Like all the things. It comes down to that. And in, you know, Charles Taylor, you know, the great sociologist, has written about the West and secularization and the shift from a culture, what he called a culture of authority, to a culture of authenticity. And a culture of authority, authority was external. So it was authority, like the, the most generous read of authority is it's just, it's just your guide to human flourishing. It's what tells you what is true and what is false, what is good and what is evil, and what leads to life and what leads to death. And external use, authority used to be external, meaning it was rooted in God, in scripture, in the church, in tradition, in your culture, maybe even in the roles of gender in your family or whatever. And there are downsides to external authority, especially people that don't fit the mold can feel, especially women, can feel really oppressed and stifled by it. But in a kind of post-Freud world, the new authority is the authentic self. More specifically, for a lot of people, it's just our emotions and our desires. Mm -hmm. So for many people, the way they do ethics is not what does scripture say, it's what feels right to me and what do I want and want, meaning, and the thought is my following my emotions and desires will lead me to happiness. Now, unfortunately, that is often a demonic lie. Thanks again for listening to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons and some great insightful ideas there from John Mark Comer, pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. Again, what you heard was just a small portion of a much larger discussion Gabe hosted not only with John, but also with scholar Roberta Amundsen looking at church history and deconstruction. Now, if you thought that was fire, we hope you're able to watch or listen to the full discussion from this past November's Q&A virtual town hall that was almost an hour and 20 minutes long. And Gabe, that was just one of several in-depth discussions that was part of the two-day town hall where you pressed into some important conversations like prayer and revival, censorship and conspiracies, race and justice and others.
It's only through Q ideas that we've been able to wrestle down some of these really difficult questions that sometimes don't get enough airtime in our church services or in some of our conversations with friends or small group conversations, or maybe it's a staff at a ministry that you're part of leading or at an academic institution. But this conversation is so important. I want you to watch the entire thing. There's so much more here than what you just heard. And you can do that at qideas.org slash QA. And for the next 30 days, when you sign on, you're going to not only hear this conversation, you're going to hear the other seven that we had, where we talked about conspiracy theories and censorship. We talked about prayer and revival, digital discipleship, Gen Z. It's all there, and it's meant to sharpen you and help us think well as we advance good into 2021. We want you to be on the edge of your seat as you lead. We want you to be confident. We want you to be aware of the conversations and where they're going. I think one of the great points that John Mark Homer made in this was he said, this core human temptation is basically to redefine good and evil on your own terms rather than trust God's vision and definition of human flourishing. And isn't that true? This is a temptation for all of us, for Christians, for non-Christians, for anybody in the world, is we want to redefine terms and we want to redefine good and evil. And Scripture tells us, Scripture warns us that there will be days where evil is called good and good is called evil. I think all of us can imagine what that looks like in our current moment. And so as we think about the year ahead, let's be equipped. Let's be discerning. Let's understand that false teaching is one of the tools of the enemy. He always comes back to it. He continually will come back to this. It's one of the great temptations for every human being who wants to think that they are like God and to think they're as discerning as God. But what I love about our work here at Q Ideas is we found this on Scripture. We want every conversation to be rooted in Scripture. We believe we can trust it. We believe we can trust Christ to reveal himself through Scripture. And it's through that that we actually gain more confidence that when things get chaotic or things get confusing, that God's Word helps truly be a light unto our feet. And it's a, it's a lamp to us as we try to guide our way through difficult conversations, chaotic information, and lots of questions and questioning people. Gabe, since we still have a few minutes left on this week's Q Ideas, you mentioned that on the Q Media platform, there's a series of podcasts that John Mark Comer hosts called This Cultural Moment. In it, he talks with Mark Sayers. Mark is an Australian pastor and author of numerous books, including Strange Days and Reappearing Church. In that podcast series, John and Mark look at our cultural moment and the Christian's place in it. In the first episode, they talk about deconstruction. Let's listen to just a segment. What's the next thing, or are we already to the next cultural moment? Is there something past post-Christian culture, or do we just sit in this kind of reactionary rebellion against all things Christ and Christianity indefinitely? Yeah, um, and I think what's happened is part of the shock of the last few years, and, and by shock I talk about the economic crisis that happened in 2008, 2009, particularly probably felt more with the uh, Brexit result in the UK, then the uh, election of Donald Trump, where all of a sudden politics seemed to change, that that sort of central politicisation that happened after World War II, particularly with uh, Clinton in the United States and then Blair, where politics came to the middle and 
people really, there was a point in that, you know, until recently where people felt that politics didn't matter anymore, you know, uh, that uh, everyone was just... Everything's I mean, kind of going all right. Everything's going all right. The world's happy. And we're just going to slowly drift towards this utopia. Because it's inevitable. It's Secularism inevitable. will inevitably lead us to utopia. Yes. And we'd move beyond the Cold War and all this. And then all of a sudden, you look at where we are now, 2017, Russia's back in the news, you know, talk about Cold War 2.0. Uh, North Korea, is there almost a new Cold War exactly. for me and my generation yes. and my kids with North Korea? Yes. Yeah, you've got, you know, world leaders threatening nuclear war. You've got all of a sudden the return of a hard right and hard left. Um, you've got just here in Portland, you've got, you know, you've had riots between Antifa and sort yeah. of, you know, Trumpian right um, or, you know, hard right figures and neo-Nazis marching in certain places and... Uh, this Charlottesville, you've got, you know, these guys in polo shirts using the old German or, you know, using blood and soil, which is an old German term, Blussenboden, blood, you know, uh, the Nazis used. And right. people are like, what the heck's going on? So I actually think what's happened is we've moved to, in a sense, a fourth culture. The fourth culture is bizarre. Uh, and I think it's just forming. So I think we're early days sketching out what's going on. But it's really interesting how uh, Pope John Paul II in his book Memory and Identity said one of the great lessons he felt for his generation was to remember what happened in the 20th century. So Pope John Paul II was Polish and he lived under both Nazi and and Russian or you know Soviet Union communist wow, rule. What an experience. Um, you know did seminary in a secret a secret seminary that met under communism, you know, and and reading his biography I think George Weigel's biography talks about him you know how they have classes when you sort of got these you know Stalinist secret policemen after him. So he said one of the great tasks is us for remember. So that's why he called that book Memory and Identity. But I think there's been a great forgetting that this sort of ephemeral, live-in-the-moment uh, life that, you know, as we talked about in one of the previous podcasts, digital capitalism creates. Yeah, just I mean, get sucked into Instagram, exactly. order a new thing on Amazon for fun, and, you know, go have brunch. Exactly, and that first generation to not really remember the Cold War. I mean, I think I'm the last, but I remember, I remember my dad coming to America in the 80s on business and the fear that he would be killed in a nuclear war. Um, and at the time, there was the Sting uh, song, you know, Hope the Russians Love Their Children too. And when I still hear that song, I remember the fear of nuclear war. Now, you've got a generation that's grown up without that yeah, that thought. Yeah, I don't ever. have any of those memories. Um, so you've now got these people rediscovering, you know, communism. Like there is a whole thing. People are rediscovering Marxism and, it's like hip and communism. And sexy it's, it's hip and, and you know, um, which you know, people that when the, the the Berlin Wall fell, to say that in twenty thirty years people would be rediscovering it would be unbelievable. You've now got with the alt right this sort of rediscovery of far right thought, and all of a sudden you know people, you know, like a, a writer like Julia Savola, who was sort of this um, fascist Italian pagan philosopher. His books are selling on Amazon. Right. And you have the secularization of the right almost closer exactly. to fascism yes. than the religious right of the 80s and 90s, the moral majority. Yes. Now you have rightists who are on, you know, wife number three, yes. sleeping around, porn, greedy, foul-mouthed, irreligious. Yes. But it's socially conservative. Yes. So it's this it's this return of the radical conservative um, and it's a repeat of some of the things, not exactly the same, but some of the sort of things we saw in the 1930s, again in the 1970s. I mean, people forget that in the 1970s, America went through, I think it was, I, think, I, can't, I, think, I can't remember what, I think it was 1976, there was a terrorist 
bombing almost every single day in the United States, all by far left terrorist groups like the you know the Weather Underground and the Black Liberation Army and the Symbionese Army, uh, and we've returned to that moment. But it seems new because we've forgotten the past. And I think partially what's happened is that that meaninglessness that is created by that utopian progressive city. Right, because it has no meaning. It has no purpose other than just the hedonistic pleasure of the moment. Exactly. So it has freedom, unlimited freedom, but it has little meaning. So with a little meaning in a secular society, you're not going to necessarily fall back into religion. Um, That will happen to some people. But you'll start to rediscover what Eric Vogelin called the political religions, that sense of utopianism, that sense of a, a, a political vision which has religious undertones, which asks for more. So, you know, the term that was used in Charlottesville, blood and soil, you know, is, is an old term that emerges you know, from a, a thinker called Herder who was trying to imagine this incredible sort of like antidote to the sort of technocratic capitalist society where people rejected that and like thought local and, you know, lived in an area that's why this soil and gave their lives for the nation. So gave blood for the nation. So it's a return to that absolute desire. And particularly, it's, it's no mistake that a lot of young men are connecting with this stuff. You know, there's that desire in a lot of young men for a sense of meaning. So particularly young men who in the progressive culture, which seems so triumphant about three or four years ago, who were told, you know, men are inherently part of the patriarchy and so on, it's inevitable you're going to get a reaction. Again, that was Mark Sayers, as well as John Mark Homer from the podcast series, This Cultural Moment. And again, that's just part of the great content from the Q Media platform at qideas.org. Memberships for Q Media start at just under $8. But if you like to sample it, especially to hear the in-depth and important conversations of this past November's Q&A virtual town hall, in February, you can get a 30-day free pass. Visit qideas.org, learn more, and sign up. I'm Paul Perot. Thanks again for listening to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I hope this was encouraging to you, but more importantly, go sign on now to get that free 30 days on Q Media for that subscription. And you're going to enjoy listening to this entire dialogue. Pull your kids around, teenagers, students, everybody who's hearing this conversation. We've gotten so much feedback. Over a million people have listened to some of these clips from this talk because they're so interested in this topic. So if you're inspired and you're encouraged and it's making your wheels turn, go enjoy the entire thing on our Q Media platform. Well, I hope you have a wonderful week. Let's continue to stay curious, think well, and advance good. This program is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. 
To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.